Section 17 of The Shaving of Shagpat. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Shaving of Shagpat by George Meredith. Chapter 12, Part 1. The Wiles of Rubesquarat. Now when Norna bin Norka had made an end of her narration, she folded her hands and was mute a while and to the ear of Shibli Bagarag it seemed as if a sweet instrument had on a sudden ceased luting. So as he leaned, listening for her voice to recommence, she said quickly, See yonder fire on the mountain's height? He looked and saw a great light on the summit of a lofty mountain before them. Then she said, That is Aklis, and it is ablaze, knowing a visitant near. Tighten now the hairs of Garavine about thy wrist, Touch thy lips with the waters of Paravid, hold before thee the lily, and make ready to enter the mountain. Lo, my betrothed, thou art in possession of the three means that melt opposition, and the fault is thine if thou fail. He did as she directed, and they were taken on a tide and advanced rapidly to the mountain, so that the waters smacked and crackled beneath the shell, covering it with silver showering arches of glittering spray. Then the fair beams of the moon became obscured, and the twain reddened with the reflection of the fire, and the billows waxed like riotous flames, and presently the shell rose upon the peak of many waves, swollen to one, and looking below, they saw in the scarlet abyss of waters at their feet a monstrous fish, with open jaws and one baleful eye. And the fish was lengthy as a caravan winding through the desert, and covered with fiery scales. Shibli Bagarag heard the voice of Norna shriek affrightedly, Caraz, and as they were sliding on the downslope, she stood upright in the shell, pronouncing rapidly some words in magic, and the shell closed upon them both, pressing them together and writing darkness on their very eyeballs. So while they were thus, they felt themselves gulped in and borne forward with terrible swiftness, they knew not where, like one that hath a dream of sinking, and outside the shell a rushing, gurgling noise, and a noise as of shouting multitudes, and muffled multitudes, muttering complaints and yells and querulous cries, told them they were yet speeding through the body of the depths in the belly of the fish. Then there came a shock, and the shell was struck with light, and they were sensible of stillness without motion. Then a blow on the shell shivered it to fragments, and they were blinded with seas of brilliancy on all sides from lamps and tapers and crystals, cornelians and gems of fiery luster, liquid lights and flashing mirrors, and eyes of crowding damsels, bright ones. So when they had risen and could bear to gaze on the insufferable splendor, they saw, sitting on a throne of coral and surrounded by slaves with scimitars, a fair queen, with black eyes, kindlers of storms, torches in the tempest, and with floating tresses, crowned with a circlet of green-spiked precious stones and masses of crimson weed with flaps of pearl. And she was robed with a robe of amber, and had saffron sandals, loose, silvery silken trousers tied in at the ankle, the ankle white as silver. Wonderful was the quivering of rays from the jewels upon her, when she but moved a finger. Now as they stood with their hands across their brows, she cried out, O ye traversers of my sea, how is this that I am made to thank Karaz for a sight of ye? And Norna bin Norka answered, Surely, O Queen Rabskarat, the haven of our voyage was Aklis, and we feared delay, seeing the fire of the mountain ablaze with expectations of us. Then the queen cried angrily, 
"'Tis well thou hadst wit to close the shell, O Norna, or there would have been delay indeed. Say, is not the road to Aklis through my palace? And it is the road thousands travel. So Norna bin Norka said, O queen, this do they, but are they of them that reach Aklis? And the queen cried violently, purpling with passion, This to me, when I helped ye to the plucking of the lily? Now the queen muttered an imprecation, and called the name Abarak, and lo, a door opened in one of the pillars of Jasper, leading from the throne, and there came forth a little man humped with legs like bows and arms reaching to his feet, in his hand a net, weighted with leaden weights. So the queen leveled her finger at Norna, and he spun the net above her head, and dropped it on her shoulder, and dragged her with him to the pillar. When Shibli Bagarag saw that, the world darkened to him, and he rushed upon Abarak, but Norna called swiftly in his ear, Wait! Thou by thy spells art stronger than all here save Abarak. Be true. Remember the seventh pillar. Then with a spurn from the hand of Abarak, the youth fell back senseless at the feet of the queen. Now with the return of consciousness, his hearing was bewitched with strange, delicious melodies, the touch of stringed instruments, and others breathed into softly, as by the breath of love. Delicate, tender, alive, with enamored bashfulness. Surely the soul that heard them dissolved like a sweet in the goblet, mingling with so much ecstasy of sound, and those melodies filling the white cave of the ear, were even at once to drown the soul in delightfulness, and buoy it with bliss, as a heavy-leaved flower is withered and refreshed by sun and dews. Surely the youth ceased not to listen, and oblivion of cares and aught other in this life, save that hidden looting and piping, pillowed his drowsy head. At last there was a pause, and it seemed every maze of music had been wandered through. Opening his eyes hurriedly, as with the loss of the music his own breath had gone likewise, he beheld a garden golden with the light of lamps, hung profusely from branches and twigs of trees, by the glowing cheeks of fruits, apple and grape, pomegranate and quince, and he was reclining on a bank piled with purple cushions, his limbs clad in the richest figured silks, fringed like the ends of clouds round the sun, with amber fringes. He started up, striving to recall the confused memory of his adventures, and what evil had befallen him, and he would have struggled with the vision of these glories, but it mastered him with the strength of a potent drug, so that the very name of his betrothed was forgotten by him, and he knew not whether he would, or the thing he wished for. Now, when he had risen from the soft bank that was his couch, lo, at his feet a damsel weeping, so he lifted her by the hand, and she arose and looked at him, and began plaining of love and its tyrannies, softening him, already softened. Then said she, What I suffer there is another, lovelier than I, suffering. Thou the cause of it, O cruel youth. He said, How, O damsel, what of my cruelty? Surely I know nothing of it. But she exclaimed, Ah, worse to feign forgetfulness. Now he was bewildered at the words of the damsel, and followed her, leading, till they entered a dell in the garden canopied with foliage and beyond it a green rise, and on the rise a throne. So he looked earnestly, and beheld thereon Queen Rabscarat, she sobbing, her dark hair pouring in streams from the crown of her head. Seeing him, she cleared her eyes, and advanced to meet him timidly, and with hesitating steps. But he shrank from her, and the queen shrieked with grief, crying, Is there in this cold heart no relenting? Then she said to him winningly, and in a low voice, O youth, my husband, to whom I am a bride. 
He marvelled, saying, This is a game, for indeed I am no husband, neither have I a bride. Yet have I confused memory of some betrothal. Thereupon she cried, Said I not so? And I the betrothed? Still he exclaimed, I cannot think it. Wallahi, it were a wonder. So she said, Consider how a poor youth of excellent proportions came to a flourishing court before one, a widowed queen, and she cast eyes of love on him, and gave him rule over her and all that was hers, when he had achieved a task, and they were wedded. Oh, the bliss of it, knit together with bond and a writing, and these were the dominions, I the queen, woe's me, thou the youth. Now he was roiled by the enchantments of the queen, caught in the snare of her beguilings, and he let her lead him to a seat beside her on the throne, and sat there a while in the midst of feastings, mazed, thinking, What life have I lived before this, if the matter be as I behold? Thinking, Tis true I have had visions of a widowed queen, and I a poor youth that came to her court, and espoused her, sitting in the vacant seat behind her, ruling a realm, but it was a dream, a dream, yet wah, here is she, here am I, yonder my dominions. Then he thought, I will solve it. So on a sudden he said to her beside him, O queen, sovereign of hearts, enlighten me as to a perplexity. She answered, The voice of my lord is music in the ear of the bride. Then said he, in the tone of one doubting realities, O fair queen, is there truly now such a one as Shagpat in the world? She laughed at his speech and the puzzled appearance of his visage, replying, Surely there liveth one, Shagpat by name in the world. Strange is the history of him, his friends and enemies, and it would bear recital. Then he said, And one the daughter of a vizier, vizier to the king in the city of Shagpat? Thereat she shook her head, saying, I know not of that one. Now Shipley Bagrag was mindful of his thwackings, and in this the wisdom of Norna is manifest that the sting of them yet chased away doubts of illusion regarding their having been, as the poet says. If thou wouldst fix remembrance, thwack, tis that oblivion controls, I care not if it be on the back, or on the soles. He thought, wah, yet feel I the thong and the hiss of it as of the serpent in the descent, and the smack of it as the mouth of satisfaction in its contact with tender regions. This, Wallahi, was no dream. Nevertheless, he was ashamed to allude thereto before the queen, and he said, O oh, my mistress, another question, one only. This Shagpat, is he shaved? She said, Clean shorn. Quoth he astonished, grief-stricken, with drawn lips, By which hand, chosen above men? And she exclaimed, O oh, thou witty one that feignest not to know, Wallahi, by this hand of thine, O my lord and king, daring that it is, dexterous, surely so, and the shaving of Shagpat was the task achieved, I the dower of it, and the rich reward. Now he was meshed yet deeper in the net of her subtleties, and by her calling him lord and king, and she gave a signal for fresh entertainments, exhausting the resources of her art, the mines of her wealth, to fascinate him. Ravishments of design and taste were on every side, and he was in the lap of abundance, beguiled by magic, caressed by beauty and a queen. Marvel not that he was dazzled, and imagined himself already come to the great things foretold of him by the readers of planets and the casters of nativities in Shiraz. He assisted in beguiling himself, 
trusting willfully to the two witnesses of things visible, as is declared by him of wise sayings. There is in every wizard net a hole, so the entangler first must blind the soul. And it is again said by the same teacher, Ye that the inner spirit's sight would seal, not credit but what outward orbs reveal. And the soul of Shibli Bagrag was blinded by Rabskarat in the depths of the enchanted sea. She sang to him, looting deliriously, and he was intoxicated with the blissfulness of his fortune, and took a lute and sang to her love verses in praise of her, rhyming his rapture. Then they handed the goblet to each other, and drank till they were on fire with the joys of things, and life blushed beauteousness. Surely Rabskarat was becoming forgetful of her arts through the strength of those draughts, till her eye marked the lily by his side, which he grasped constantly, the bright flower, and she started and said, One grant, O my king, my husband. So he said courteously, All grants are granted to the lovely, the fascinating, and their grief will be lack of aught to ask for. Then said she, O my husband, my king, I am jealous of that silly flower. Laugh at my weakness, but fling it from thee. Now he was about to cast it from him, when a vanity possessed his mind, and he exclaimed, See first the thing I will do, a wonder. She cried, No wonders, my life, I am sated with them. And he said, I am oblivious, O queen, of how I came by this flower and this phial, and thou shalt hear a thing beyond the power of common magic, and see that I am something. Now she plucked at him to abstain from his action, but he held the phial to the flower. She signed imperiously to some slaves to stay his right wrist, and they seized on it. But not all of them together could withhold him from dropping a drop into the petals of the flower. And lo, the lily spake, a voice from it, like the voice of Norna, saying, Remember the seventh pillar. Thereat he lifted his eyes to his brows, and frowned back memory to his aid, and the scene of Karaz, Rabskarat, Abarak, and his betrothed was present to him. So perceiving that, the queen delayed not, while he grasped the phial, to take in her hand some water from a basin near, and fling it over him, crying, Oblivion! And while his mind was strained to bring back images of what had happened, he fell forward once more at the feet of Rabskarat, senseless as a stone falls. Such was the force of her enchantments. Now when he awoke the second time, he was in the bosom of darkness, and the lily gone from his hand. So he lifted the phial to make certain of that, and groped about till he came to what seemed an urn to the touch, and into this he dropped a drop, and asked for the lily, and a voice said, I caught a light from it in passing, and he came in the darkness to a tree, and a bejeweled bank, and other urns, and swinging lamps without light, and a running water, and a grassy bank, and flowers, and a silver seat, sprinkling each, and they said all, in answer to this question of the lily, I caught a light from it in passing. At the last he stumbled upon the steps of a palace and ascended them, endowing the steps with speech as he went, and they said, The light of it went over us. He groped at the porch of the palace and gave the door a voice, and it opened on jasper hinges, shrieking, The light of it went through me. Then he entered a spacious hall. Scattering drops and voices exclaimed, We glow with the light of it. He passed, groping his way through other halls and dusk chambers, scattering drops, and as he advanced the voices increased in the fervor of their replies, saying sequently, We blush with the light of it, we beam with the light of it, we burn with the light of it. So presently he found himself in a long low room, somberly lit, 
roofed with crystals, and in a corner of the room, lo, a damsel on a couch of purple, she white as silver, spreading radiance, of such lustrous beauty was she, that beside her, the princess Gorilka, as Shibli Bagarag first beheld her, would have paled like a morning moon. Even Norna had waned as both a flower in fierce heat, and the queen of enchantments was but the sun behind a sandstorm, in comparison with that effulgent damsel on the length of the purple couch. Well for him he wilt of the magic which floated through that palace, as is said, Tempted by extremes, the soul is most secure. To vivid loveliness blinds with its beams, and eyes turned inward perceive the lore. Pulling down his turban hastily, he stepped on tiptoe to within arm's reach of her, and looking another way, inclined over her soft, vermeil mouth the phial, slowly till it brimmed the neck, and dropped a drop of paravid between the bow of those sweet lips. Still not daring to gaze on her, he said then, My question is of the lily, the lily of the sea, and where is it, O marvel? And he heard a voice answer in the tones of a silver bell, clear as a wind in the strung wires. Where I lie lies the lily, the lily of the sea, I with it, it with me. Said he, O breather of music, tell me how I may lay hand on the flower of beauty to bear it forth. And he heard the voice, An equal space betwixt my right side and my left, and from the shoulder one span and half a span downward. Still without power to eye her, he measured the space and the spans, his hand beneath the coverlids of the couch, and at a spot of the bosom his hand sank in and he felt a fluttering thing, fluttering like a frighted bird in the mist of the fire. And the voice said, Quick, seize it, and draw it out, and tie it to my feet by the twines of red silk about it. He seized it, and drew it out, and it was a heart, a heart of blood streaming with crimson, palpitating. Tears flashed on his sight beholding it, and pity took the seat of fear, and he turned his eyes full on her, crying, O oh, sad fair thing, O oh, creature of anguish, O oh, painful beauty, Oh, what have I done to thee? End of part one of chapter twelve.